0: I'm your host, Brian Hardy. Welcome to the program. You know, I want to I kind of change the tone a little bit uh, starting off today. Um, I want to talk about something serious. I want to talk about something because I've been thinking about this. I've been praying about this kind of stuff. I've been working on it all year long in my personal life. And I thought maybe I should share this with you guys. So um, I was rereading Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life the other day. Uh, well, I wasn't reading it. I have an audio. I have it on audiobook. So I was re-listening to it. And he brings up a book, and he brought up a point, and I actually went ahead and ordered the book and read it to my daughter last night. Um, The book is, um, there's no such thing as a dragon. There's no such thing as a dragon. So the concept is this. So a little boy wakes up. I'm not going to read the book to you guys because that's boring. Uh, A little boy wakes up, and there's a tiny little dragon at the end of his bed. And he's surprised that it was there. It was about the size of a kitten, according to the book. And so he goes and tells his mom, mom, there's a dragon in my room. And mom says, there's no such thing as a dragon. He's like, okay. So when he first sees the dragon, he pats it on the head. The dragon's happy, cool, it's taken care of, it's nourished, cool. When his mom tells him there's no such thing as a dragon, he has to ignore it. And so then he ignores the dragon, and suddenly the dragon gets bigger. Now he's no longer the size of a kitten, he's the size of a dog. Okay? He jumps up on top of the table, he eats the boy's pancakes. Mom keeps serving pancakes. She's just ignoring the fact that the dragon's there because there's no such thing as a dragon. Um... You know, and it just keeps going. And the book keeps going and going and going. And next thing you know, um, the dragon is filling up the whole house. And mom's trying to clean the house. And she can't even get in and out the door. She's climbing in and out of windows and going around this dragon that she keeps insisting does not exist. There's no such thing as a dragon. Okay. Uh, Next thing you know, the dragon grows so big that he stands up. The house is on his back like a turtle shell. He goes chasing down the street. Um, you know, but mom again is inside this house and she keeps saying there's no such thing as a dragon. And the boy's watching this whole thing. Dad comes home from work, house gone, talks to the mailman. The mailman's like, yeah, I ran off that way. Dad chases it down, finds it, climbs up to the top. What the heck is going on? There's no such thing as dragons. The boy reaches out and pats the dragon on the head, gives the dragon a little bit of love. The dragon starts to get smaller, gives it a little bit of nourishment, starts to get smaller. Soon the house is right back on its foundation. And the dragon gets smaller, smaller, smaller to the point where it's the size of a kitten again. And now it's curled up on mom's lap and she's petting it and she's giving it nourishment and she's giving it love and attention. And she asks, well, why did it get so big? And at the very end of the book, the boy says, maybe it just wanted to be noticed. Now, the book is meant to be a fun kid's book, but it's symbolic And it's symbolic of a lot of things, right? If your kid is struggling with something and you're ignoring it, it it's not going to just go away. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger until it becomes that elephant in the room or in this case, a dragon just filling up the whole house, right? If you're struggling with something, whether it's a physical health issue that's just going to get worse and worse and worse and start affecting the relationships that you have because you're in pain or you're uncomfortable all the time. It's just gonna get bigger and worse. Right? Whether it's something that's bothering you, stress, anxiety, depression, something that's affecting your kid, maybe he's being bullied. My point is this get your home in order. If you're listening to this on your way to work today, I want you to start thinking about throughout your day the things that need to be addressed at home, the things that make you happy, the things that, you know, really start reorganizing your priorities. They talk about this in that book, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. I won't say the F word because my mom listens to this. The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, they talk about this, right? You might think your, your job is important because you got to pay the bills and pay for that house and pay for that, that boat and all that kind of stuff or whatever it is you got. But so is spending time with your kids. So is spending time with your spouse, Hey, yeah, sure, overtime is nice. Getting a little bit extra on that paycheck is nice. But I'll tell you right now, you're a lot happier with a happy spouse. Going on that date night is important too. Finding that babysitter. Going away for the weekend and just getting a hotel and having a romantic night together. You know, worry-free. Going to the beach. I'll tell you right now, as a parent, okay, I got, I got young kids and taking them fishing is hard right? You got to set up three different, I have to set up three different poles. I have to tie on the lines, tie on the lures, bait the hooks, do all the stuff, right? They're still learning how to do that stuff, so they're not good at it. Um, I I don't even get the fish myself, because by the time I get all three poles in the water, guess what? The first one's having a problem, got to go help her. Oh, second one's having a problem, got to go help her, you know, and it's just back and forth. But I'll tell you right now, at the end of the day, I sleep well. I sleep well knowing I did something with my kids that was productive, and experience that they will remember, Right? Don't let those dragons grow big. Okay. When I had my divorce, the first thing I wanted to do is I, I purged my house. I did. Uh, I think part of it was part of my healing. I think part of it was part of just taking stuff that was festering and 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 getting rid of it. I even bought all new bedroom furniture, a whole new mattress, new sheets, everything. I painted a wall in my bedroom because it was a wall color that I think she had picked out. Uh, I went along with it because I like or because I just wanted to see her happy and. I never liked. I changed the color, (laughs) right? Because those were my little dragons. You know, I just I wanted peace in my house. I wanted my kids to feel at peace and at loved, okay. And, you know, and so I just started taking care of all those little dragons, all of them. Okay, I found out that my ex had neglected a lot of things around the house. I found out the neglected things like dentist appointments and stuff like that. Boom! I started taking care of those dragons. It matters. And so I know this isn't the regular tone that I have on this podcast. It's just something I felt like I, I needed to share, a message I needed to share with you guys. Um, make sure you take care of those little dragons, those things that are stressing you out, those things that are, that are being swept under the rug, and do not ignore them because they will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that doesn't just go for things in your home. Okay, if you feel like your home's in order, if you feel like everything's been addressed, if you feel like there's nothing more you could really do or help out, look at your friends. What about a friend that's maybe been neglected? Maybe a friend that's been going through a hard time. You'd be surprised, as me, considering this has been one of the hardest years of my life, how much a simple text message matters. Okay, just somebody saying, hey, I was thinking about you. Hey, I'm looking out for you. Okay, somebody coming along and just saying, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Come spend some time with us, come talk to us. That kind of stuff matters, it really does. You know, so maybe it's not something in your home. Maybe it's something that you can help out with some some other little dragon someplace. A friend, an acquaintance, a work friend. Because again, those dragons will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay? And you don't want that phone call. Because I've made those phone calls where I've had to call people and say, hey, you know so-and-so? Your loved one? Okay, they committed suicide. They died. Can you help me find their family? Can you help me find their ex-wife? Can you help me find whoever? You don't want that phone call, and you don't want to wait till it's too late. You don't want to be that friend that says, you know, I'm finally going to go check on uh, on Jeff over there. I'm finally going to go see how he's doing. I'm finally going to go see what's up with him, and you're the one who finds his body. Do not ignore those little dragons because they will grow, they will fill the entire house, and they will walk away with it. Nurture those dragons. Hey folks, if you're like me, I get really sick and tired of spending five, seven, eight, 12 bucks every day at Starbucks or Dutch Brothers or one of these other coffee places. And then you turn around and hear about places like Starbucks and how they treat law enforcement, and how cops are getting kicked out. Well, I got a new company for you, right? If, if you're at that point where you just want to make good quality coffee from home, I want you guys to check out my new friend's 1097 Coffee. This is a law enforcement and veteran owned local. First responder theme business. Now, I want to pull this little expert from their website, 1097coffee.com, all spelled out, no, no numbers. 1097 Coffee was created in support of our first responders. This includes our military, police, fire, dispatchers, emergency medical service, and our motto is support to all. If you're looking for a company that supports causes you believe in, check out 1097coffee.com and order from their either medium, dark, or dark roast selections. That's 1097coffee.com, and you can also find them on Facebook or Instagram. All right, and we're back. So, speaking of little dragons, right? Speaking of things that just get ignored or swept under the rug and, you know, nobody really talks about them and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until finally somebody has to throw it in your face. Finally, somebody has to point it out to you. Finally, uh, something is happening, right? Symbolically speaking, it's picking up your house and walking away with it, just like I was talking about in the last segment. So um, that person right now, well, let's, let's back up. So the little dragon I'm talking about is the border. Our southern border of the United States. It is absolutely in chaos. People are streaming over, right? It's Southern California and the Orange County, which is typically a red county or purple county, okay? It's New Mexico and Arizona, which are typically purple. They sometimes go blue, but they, I think, I think honestly those are red states, but we'll see, right? And then it's Texas, okay? Okay. Texas, the the infamous red state that's highly populated, right? Democrats hate Texas, okay? Because the truth is, if you actually break down the electoral college, if you take California the equation, Democrats would lose every election for president, every single one, right? So in order to offset that balance, Republicans highly depend on the Rust Belt in Texas. Uh, They highly depend on securing Florida and Ohio, right, to secure the presidency. You need those. So, um, but yeah, anyways, so here's the little dragon. The little dragon is the border and, and, the, and it, the little dragon just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Texas governor, Greg Abbott decided, you know what? Every time he complained about it, every time he got loud about it, every time he managed to do something to make it go with the national news, because you guys don't hear about it much, right? I mean, when's the last time you turned on the news and they were talking about the border? Right? And you're not going to find it on CNN. You're not going to find it on any of the mainstream media's. Right? No one's talking about it. So Texas Greg Abbott's like, hey, we have a crisis down here, and nobody's talking about it. And so what did he do to force people to keep it in the news? He said, you know what? If New York wants to sit there and uh, advocate against us and tell us that we're racist and tell us that these aren't illegal people and all this other stuff, cool. They could have them. So he put thousands on a bus and he shipped them to New York. Shipped them to Chicago. Every time uh, a Democrat mayor or Democrat governor who is very outspoken against uh, in favor of open borders or anything like that, Texas Governor Greg Abbott's been throwing him on a bus and sending him that way. The latest was Washington, D.C. In fact, he's put, I think, almost 10,000 people over in Washington, D.C. So much so that the mayor on September 8th, let me pull up the story really quick, has declared a public emergency over the influx of asylum seekers, that's what they're calling them in the Washington Post, bust in from Texas and Arizona. Uh, It's a formality, so she could release $10 million in city funds to aid the migrants. Okay, but notice, let me point something out. Notice how they're calling them asylum seekers. This is the message from the left, right? When it comes to people coming over that border, they call them asylum seekers because it changes the law, right? If you could define who they are, they're asylum seekers. Now, the way the world agreements and laws are supposed to work is, yes, you can flee something, whether it's uh, persecution because of religion or race. You can flee something because of war, right? Sometimes a nation goes to war, and you have a lot of people just, you know, get displaced and stuff because of that. You can flee because of that. And, yes, you can request and seek asylum, but you're supposed to seek it in the first country you come to. Okay, so if Mexico has having a war... And people come over the border from Mexico and seek asylum in the United States. The United States is supposed to help provide it. However, many of these people are not from Mexico. They're from Honduras. They're from Argentina. They're from many other countries. Some are coming through Mexico from Africa. Okay, Some are coming through Mexico from the Middle East. Okay, So that's the problem. If you're seeking asylum and the first country you come to is Mexico... Or Honduras or some other country, that's supposed to be where you're at. Okay, Many workers came up from Brazil to Mexico and then they tried crossing into the United States and were like, well, what are you doing? Well, we're asylum seekers. Asylum from what? Brazil's not at war. Mexico's not at war. Okay, People aren't being openly persecuted by their government. So what are you fleeing? Poverty? Poverty is not a legal justification for asylum seeking. It's just not, okay? Now, I've said this before on this program. I get it, right? I mean, if I lived in these world countries and I was protecting myself and my family or whatever, yeah, sure, I would want to find better opportunities for me and my family. I get it. I understand. And I'm not saying many of these people don't have a justification for coming over, but come through the front door. Do it legally, okay? These open border policies are funding cartels, Cartels are making billions of dollars a year. and it's not an exaggerated number, okay? Uh, basically getting paid by people to smuggle them over these borders. Being paid to coach them on what to say when they encounter border patrol. Okay? People, their daughters are being sacrificed because they can't afford to pay them, but they're like, well, if I can get my daughter over there, she can have a better life. And guess what happens to her in the desert? Do you have any idea how many raped and murdered children they've found? Okay, this is what open border policies do. Okay, you are funding the cartels. Okay, Governor, or Texas Governor Greg Abbott, he's like, fine, if you want them, because it's not fair to Texans that their tax dollars are being used to aid these individuals when really their tax dollars should be used to secure that border, but because of policies in Washington D.C., they're stuck. They're stuck dealing with this. So what do they do? Okay, throw them on a bus. And that's what he's been doing. And on top of that, not only has it been effective, not only has it uh, continued the national conversation, but I totally support the idea behind it. Okay, these people are affecting our state. They're affecting our border towns. Okay. These individuals are coming over and they're stressing our resources. When you have border ranchers who are trying to sell because they're so sick and tired of people coming to the property or threatening them or damaging things or leaving feces or trash and stuff along the way, right? All you need is a strong border policy. It doesn't mean you hate anybody. It doesn't mean you're racist against anybody. It just means use the front door, okay? Everyone has a border policy at their house, everybody, Okay? Trust me, if you came to my house through the window, you are not gonna get a a good welcome. You're not. You're likely gonna get injured. Okay? If you come through my house through the back door, you're likely gonna get injured. If you come through a window, you're gonna get injured. If you climb up on my roof and come through an upper story window. Okay? If you cut a hole in my roof and come in through the attic, you're gonna get injured. But if you knock on the door, if you knock on the door, present yourself introduce yourself, explain your purpose there. You might just be let in. You just might be let in. You just might be helped. Is that what you need, sir? Cool. Let me help you out. Why? Because I've been blessed in my life. And because I've been blessed, I feel like it's my duty to bless others. Right? That's my mindset. We live in a wonderful country. We live in a beautiful country with tons of resources and tons of great things. Okay? Yeah, we can help a lot of people in this world. But we have to have strong economic um, strategies here, okay, strong economic policies from Washington so that we can become economically strong and wealthy enough that we can help people, help our neighbors, help the people in our, in, our, in our towns. I understand, you take somebody like me, right, somebody who's middle class, when I have a little bit of money left over at the end of the day, I can put it in savings. When a cause I believe in pops up, I can take a little bit from that savings and I can donate it. You get a million other people doing that, boom, that cause I believe in is gonna have enough money to actually do what they need to do. When the economy hurts, everything hurts. But if you can make our economy strong, okay, if you make the economy strong, you get strong tax revenue, and then, yeah, sure, we could do more help. We could do more. But we can't do that if our economy's weak. We can't do that if our economy continues to be weakened by high taxes and weak border policies. We just can't. I would love to help these people more. I can't. But yeah, don't come at me and tell me people can't be illegal. Okay, don't call them asylum seekers here either because they're not. Okay, and when you support open border policies, you're supporting a billion dollar business for the cartels. The same cartels who are bringing fentanyl into the United States. If you don't think that affects you, go call your local coroner. Call your local medical examiner, okay? There's a Freedom of Information Act. Go call your local county medical examiner and ask them, how many fentanyl deaths have we had so far this year? How many drug overdose deaths? You don't even say fentanyl, just say drug overdose death. How many drug overdose deaths have we had so far this year? Go ask them. Like I said, Freedom of Information Act, they have to answer it. Maybe they won't know in that moment, but they have to get back to you. That's all coming from Mexico all of it. Okay. And then if you really want to put on your tinfoil hat and trace back where that, where Mexico's getting fentanyl from, it's come from China. But the worst thing you could do is put yourself in a little bubble and say, well, it doesn't affect me. So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to be outspoken against it. I'm not going to care because eventually it will. Eventually you're going to have a friend or a loved one or someone die from fentanyl overdose. Okay. And maybe they're not even a drug addict. Remember, fentanyl could be absorbed through the skin. They're going to pick up a dollar off a street and it's going to absorb through their skin. They're going to get very sick and maybe die. Doesn't affect me. Yeah, it will. Eventually. Okay. Just like the mayor of D.C. Just like uh, New York. Just like Chicago. Okay. You don't want to talk about the border? Oh, well, you guys are just being racist. Okay, fine. It doesn't affect you? You want to live in your little bubble? Cool. Texas Governor Greg got it? Go ahead and ship them out. Okay? Let's make it affect you. You want to talk about our policies? Let's, let's, let's see what you do. Good job, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Hey, folks. I realized the gold commercial for this was getting, well, old. So I decided it was time to re record it. Grandma's Pantry That's grandma's One of our oldest sponsors. It's Brian and Kim, my good friends, uh, for all your custom jams and jellies. I have a case of them in my pantry right now. Very unique flavors. If you have guests coming and you want to just wow them with something different than your typical strawberry and grape, grandma's pantrypocatello.com for your custom jam and jelly needs. And I'm back. So, every once in a while, I try and find these stories that I try to find these stories that you didn't hear about, right? Like the, the lesser reported, the underreported stories, um, you know, the B rated news, that kind of stuff. So, um, and yeah, sure, I talk about the mainstream stuff as well because sometimes there is some input there I would like to give you guys. But um, I want to tell you guys about the story because, <clears throat> well, it's just, it's, it's blatant corruption. And there's something going on in the United States because, I mean, we see corruption in other, in other countries all the time, right? We see corruption here and there, um, and usually it's just a matter of time, right? There, there are tender boxes, all of them, right? It's just a matter of time before the people rise up or a warlord or a general or there's a coup or something that happens. And, you know, just because people get sick and tired of the crap, right? You get sick and tired of it, plus you always have somebody else who wants to, who wants to seize power, right? That's how it always is. It's crazy, right? Um, And so the thing about the United States, though, is we see the corruption, and for some reason, nothing's ever done about it, right? I mean, we can sit there and talk about the FBI all day long and how the FBI did nothing when Hillary Clinton clearly was violating law, did nothing when Hunter Biden is clearly violating law and clearly is engaged in some very serious uh, crimes or or alleged crimes, okay? I mean, it's, it's... They've done nothing about Joe Biden and his apparent involvement in setting up family members in these cushy jobs and him taking half a uh, half of what they make, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that we see, but for some reason, a lot of stuff just doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't happen. people get 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 protected. I'm curious to know if this woman, Mayor Cantrell of New Orleans, is going to be the same if she's going to get protected or not because she's already screaming racism, and racism is usually that big old green flag of. Don't touch me if you do, your races. racist, right? I mean, that's... So anyways, Mayor Cantrell says she won't repay $30,000 in travel expenses. She's a Democrat, by the way. Um, so essentially, New Orleans Mayor uh, LaToya Cantrell says she does not plan to pay back the city for first-class travel upgrades on overseas flights, despite policies put in place by the city council members. So basically, in New Orleans, they have a policy that if you need to travel on behalf of the city... Right? If you need to travel, you know, to go to a conference, if you need to travel to go to a training, you know, a, a mayor's conference or whatever, or maybe it's something in DC, all this kind of stuff, something for the state, you're supposed to seek the lowest fares possible. Okay? So if I'm mayor of some small town in Northern California, and I'm going down to a conference from small town mayors down in LA, and I'm gonna get a flight and I'm gonna fly down there and I'm gonna get a hotel. I'm not supposed to go out there and get the first class flight, right? I'm not supposed to do that, right? You're supposed to get the cheapest flights, right? You're supposed to actually save the taxpayer's money. Why? Because it's not your money, right? When you get elected to a, a position, you are a steward of the taxpayer's dollar. You're not supposed to be wasting our money like that. Um, so, yeah, so she spends all this money, uh, and she claims that all expenses incurred doing business on behalf of the city of New Orleans will not be reimbursed to the city of New Orleans, Mayor Contrell said outside the Knicks library. Um, one thing is clear. I do my job and I will continue to do it. First of all, uh, some of these flights were like to France and Italy. What is she doing on behalf of the city of New Orleans and France or Italy? Let me tell you guys a, a story one time. I, I, I was forced to go to a training. And I say force because I was, I was going along with probation. They said, you should do this training. And it was a training about, and this stuff I think is actually true, but it's a training about how people who have certain circumstances in their life who commit a crime, uh, there's certain uh, attributes or certain things that can, that if they have going on in their life, they're less likely to reoffend. And this conference, this training was mostly about juveniles. And what they're suggesting was if a juvenile... Uh, and this has nothing to do with skin color, but if a juvenile uh, commits a crime, but he has a mom and dad at home, you know, they have jobs, they have careers, they have, you know, maybe he's involved in sports and stuff like that, they find that he's much less likely to reoffend. But they also found those same juveniles that the longer they're in the system, the more likely they are to reoffend. So the goal is to hold them accountable for what they did, but don't leave them in the system for too long. Right? So let's say a 16-year-old goes out, drives... Uh, gets drunk, crashes a car, crashes into somebody else's car. Cool. that That's a crime. Maybe he doesn't get anybody killed, but that's a crime. Okay. But let's say he has mom and dad at home. They're middle class or upper middle class. Mom and dad are furious. This is not how they raise their kid, blah, blah, blah. Cool. Uh, that kid's still going to be held accountable. But if you leave him in the system, if you just put him in juvenile hall for six months or whatever, he's most likely going to come out reoffending, right? That That's the theory behind it. So the point of the story is this, so this lady comes and she's talking about, she works for the state, she's talking about these welfare programs and all this stuff, and they're comparing their programs to other states and they found that Hawaii was doing something different or they're getting a different result from their programs, but instead of just calling them up, sending emails, reaching out and contacting people or, or getting their survey numbers or whatever it is, they decided that her and her whole office needed to fly to Hawaii and have meetings and figure out what was going on out there. Okay. She talked about it like it was a joke. Oh yeah. Well, we saw this and Hawaii was different. And you know, so of course we all had to go out there (laughs) as if we don't have phones. Okay. It was a joke to her using taxpayer dollars for an all expenses paid trip for a week out to Hawaii with her and her coworkers to have meetings was a joke. And she's in this training talking about this and laughing. And people while I was in the training with were kind of chuckling about it. And I'm looking around like, Are you, did you guys just hear that? That sounds like corruption. Right? That's the kind of thing that should be in the paper. So anyways, this woman's doing the same thing. And she claims, here's, here's the point of the story. She claims that not only were these expenses on behalf of the city, like her first class ticket to France and Switzerland, cost nearly $30,000. Uh, and she said that she got these first class tickets for protection. And then she even challenged people. Anyone who wants to question how I protect myself just doesn't understand the world black women walk in. So she, what she did is she's claiming that because she's a black woman, she's not safe in coach. She's not safe sitting anywhere else on the plane. Now let's break down this logic. Let's, let's break it down for a second here. Uh yeah, first class typically in the front of the plane, coach typically in the back. First class typically has wider seats. Uh, coach doesn't. Right, they're just trying to fit as many customers as they can in there. Uh, first class uh, usually has a bit more space to work with. Uh, they're usually served different meals. Okay. Etc. Right, that's what's happening in first class. Okay, I'll tell you right now. If you are in danger in first class, you're also in danger in coach. Because there's only a curtain separating them. Not to mention, first class is typically in the front of the plane. And oftentimes it's set up where the coach passengers are coming onto the plane and walking through first class to get the coach. So if she's truly in danger, why would she want to sit there so everyone walks past her? If she's truly in danger, does she walk through the airport? Does she get some pre-screening? Did she have some sort of security uh, escort all the way through? Was she the last person to get on the plane? No, clearly not. No. She used taxpayer dollars, spent tons of thousands of dollars to buy these tickets to France and Switzerland for who knows what. It doesn't actually specify. I I can't figure out what a mayor of New Orleans needs to do in uh, France or Switzerland, And then she's claiming it was poor protection, and she went straight to the race card. Oh, you don't think I needed to spend that money? Well, clearly, you don't know what it's like to be a black woman. Why do we tolerate this? Hopefully, this doesn't go unnoticed, right? It's an underreported story. Um, A lot of people do not want to challenge the racism thing for some reason. Like It's gotten so out of hand, uh, what people claim to be racist. It's sickening because there are real victims of racism every day right? There are real victims dealing with real racism every single day. And when you do stuff like this and you just water it down or try and make everything racist, you are totally undermining those who are truly victims and truly need attention and truly need assistance. Okay. It's just like that crap that happened with B- BYU. Did you guys hear about that? It was the BYU volleyball team playing, um, uh, I forget what other university it was, but a player on the other university claimed that, uh, someone was calling her the N-word. From BYU. BYU of course launches an investigation because they're like oh my gosh we got to figure this out is if one of our players because here's the thing BYU has zero tolerance just like any other university right and they found out the uh, one of their volleyball players was saying calling someone the n-word boom they'd be um, expelled from the school not just off the team expelled from the school if they found out one of their school members was in the audience and you know that kind of stuff same thing you're, you're expelled you're done all right you make our university look bad it's not going to happen Not to mention the blackballing that happens when you do find a real racist, right? When someone really does act like that, I mean, they get destroyed. They get destroyed online. They get destroyed everywhere. They can't apply for jobs. They can't do anything, right? So it'd be pretty ballsy for someone to come out and say or or call somebody the N-word. So BYU does this whole investigation, find out that it's completely not true. The whole thing was just totally debunked. They couldn't find any reason. Not to mention the games are being recorded. There's microphones, all this kind of stuff. It's like they couldn't find it anywhere. They couldn't even find somebody to corroborate it, saying, yeah, I thought I heard it too. Nothing. She lied. Next thing you know, another university is canceling a tournament with them, a basketball tournament, and all this other stuff. They're just totally blackballing, trying trying to embarrass BYU. It's disgusting. It's stupid. But is that other student going to be held accountable for lying? Probably not. Why? She pulled the race card right? The moment you come after her, oh no, no, you're you're the racist now. Should she be held accountable? Yes, she should. Okay. What is she doing? She's watering down and undermining people who really are victims of racism. It's disgusting. It's disgusting behavior from her. Just like this real racism is disgusting behavior from anybody else. Big stretch, big stretch. Okay, so so I was looking for stories because I haven't done this in a while. I haven't done the Florida man segment in a while. So I was looking for stories out of Florida where I'm like, okay, these are got to be funny. These got to be cool. And there's nothing but gross stuff coming out of Florida right now. Like like there was one where a man um, got his arm bitten off by an alligator and ended up surviving in the swamp for three days by himself. Really cool, heroic, not funny. Right, there was another one where a woman got arrested because her five-year-old shot a baby because she left the gun unattended. Not funny, right? All this stuff. So then I come across this headline: "A Florida woman arrested for allegedly twerking on teen at a Christian school prom." And so I was like, "Oh, hold on, right? If you go just based off that headline, twerking on a teen. So basically, she turns around, turns her back towards them." Bends over a little bit, sticks her butt out, and does a little dancing, makes her butt jiggle or whatever towards his team, twerks on him, right? They call it twerking, the boom, the push up against him. And apparently this is a crime. Um, is it a crime here? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird. It's inappropriate. It would be basically, I think it's just a battery, right? Unwanted touching. Unless you have skin to skin contact, I think it's just a battery. So, oh, but definitely inappropriate for a prom, much less a prom for a Christian school. So then I had to start reading the story because I'm like, okay, I got to understand what's going on. This is why it's important to read the stories. All right. This is, this is different than what the title says, right? Like they, they try to make it funny. They try to capture people. Oh my gosh, twerked or whatever. No, this is a 39 year old woman at a prom with a 17 year old boy. He's now 18, um, back in April, I think. And apparently she rubs her body on him, uh, She does it sexually, right? This isn't like she just gave him a long hug or something. She was rubbing her body on him. She also brought alcoholic beverages to the prom and was basically taking a straw and forcing it into his mouth and forcing him to drink with her, okay? So that's a lot different than the headline saying that um, she was arrested for twerking on a teen. Does that make sense? Like, here's the thing. Like, when, when... when the media got upset because Trump said they're the biggest enemy to the, the people of the United States, he wasn't wrong. Okay, now look at the media is business; it's companies, right? They want uh, clicks, they want likes, they want people to download their articles, they want people to sign up for their emails, they want people to buy their newspapers, buy their magazines, make these subscriptions, you know, follow their Facebook page. They want all this stuff, right? This is their business. Right? The more visitors they have to a website, the more they can justify charging for advertisements, et cetera, right? So this is their business. And so they are in the business of hooking people. And they will hook people with fancy headlines. And the problem is people don't even click on the article. They just share them from one side to another. And I'm actually glad Facebook started doing this. If you try sharing an article without reading it, like I'll read it here on, on just my regular web browser. Let's say I find it and I just share it on Facebook and I share it to Disturbing the Peace Facebook page. Facebook actually has a notification that comes up and says, hey, you didn't click and open this article. Are you sure you want to share it? Right? They're kind of like reminding people, hey, maybe you should actually read it before you share it because the headlines are not always what they seem. And I've seen this with conservative media as well, right? There's no, nobody's immune to it, right? They're just trying to hook people. They're trying to get those, because that's how they make their money. And I don't blame them. That's the business they're in. However, uh, you need to be self-aware. And I know you guys are because you're listening to this podcast, but Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, because a Florida woman, a teacher, nonetheless, uh, getting arrested for twerking, obviously it was not the case. This was someone who was engaged in lewd and lascivious acts as a teenager. This is somebody who had no business ever being a teacher. Because if you're a teacher and you think that way about your students, if you find yourself being attracted to your students, even if they're teenagers, even if they're, they're, they're post-pubescent teenagers, okay, that's still disgusting. Okay, we as parents are entrusting you teachers, to spend time with our kids and teach them, okay? We're entrusting them when they go to the schools. We're entrusting that you have security in mind, that, you are, that these students are protected under your care and in your watch, okay? That's what we're trusting you to do. So when you violate that trust, if you find yourself attracted to students, if you find yourself having inappropriate relationships with students, that's not okay at all. Now, granted, when the kid graduates and they're an adult, Okay, a consenting adult, and you want to have some sort of friendship or or other type of relationship with them. Sure. Is it weird? Yeah. Is it going to be questioned? Yeah. But as long as everyone's a consenting adult, uh, I could criticize and I can run my mouth about it all I want, but it's not illegal. Okay. Will there be questions? Yeah. Okay. If a young lady goes throughout high school and her favorite teacher is Mister So and So, and nothing ever happened between them, but she's eighteen or nineteen now, and suddenly they have a relationship and she's moving in with the guy, yeah, there's going to be questions. Right. So is it disgusting? Yeah, sure. Um, but there's going to be questions, but are they consenting adults at that point? Yes, they are. Okay. But yeah, this kind of stuff happens. And I I've always made this comparison with cops, right? Because when a cop does something bad, boom, it's national media, right? There's protests, there's all this stuff going on. And I always tell people, you got to think of cops like we think of teachers, right? Because everyone loves their teachers, right? Everyone has respect for teachers. Everyone can agree that teachers are underpaid and overworked in many cases, in many cases, not in every case, but in many cases. Okay, everyone could agree on that. Everyone could get on board with that. Okay? But when we hear about a bad cop, it's suddenly national media and it strikes a national conversation, there's protests and all this stuff. When we hear about bad teachers, it's not national media unless it's really grotesque. Okay. And it doesn't strike up a national uh, conversation about this stuff. And it doesn't come up with protests and everything. And no one goes around protesting all teachers. During the George Floyd thing, nothing was more absurd to me than having to deal with protests of people being upset about something that happened in a whole different state. I was like, go there, go to their state, go protest in there. Right. It was their cop that messed up. Go protest outside their police department. Why are you here? Right? That's just absurd. It was just, it was just a big organized attempt to cause chaos all over the country, and they did it. For 180 days, they had chaos all over the country. But when a teacher hits a kid, no. When they do bad things like this, sexual stuff with kids, no. No, we just hold that teacher accountable, and rightfully so. Okay? And rightfully so. When a cop messes up, that cop, the individual should be held accountable for it. When a teacher messes up, that teacher, the individual should be held accountable for it. We're not going to blame all teachers for the actions of that one, and we're not going to blame all cops for the action of that one, okay? If you do, you're the prejudice bigot, right? That person who you say you're not, that tolerant, loving individual you claim to be, no. If you hate all cops for the actions of one cop, then no, you are the person you claim to hate. Just like it would be wrong for me to hate all teachers because of the actions, the sick actions of this 39-year-old woman in Florida. You think about that. These are the conversations you should be having with your neighbors, by the way. When I talk about that all the time, okay, this country is not as bad as people say it is. Just talk to people. Just talk to people. Right? Engage them. Don't be non-confrontational. I'm not saying you should be getting in fights with people, arguing with people, because you're not gonna get anywhere fast. But when someone shares a piece of information with you, you'll be like, oh, that's interesting. This is how I heard it. This is what I heard over here. You know, this other news source actually added this detail to that, and that made me think this way about it, right? Share the information. Talk to people. Get out there. And speaking of talking to people and sharing information, DTP at USA.com. If there's a topic you want me to cover, DTP at USA.com. If there's a story you think I should be talking about, DTP at USA. That's David Tom Paul at usa.com. I'm going to wrap it up right there, folks. Have a good week. Again, think about the things I was saying. Talk to your neighbors and handle those little dragons before they get too big and out of hand. is Disturbing the Peace, Man, I still, I really need to get a voiceover. Okay, when the music's doing the intro, I really need to just have a voiceover where someone's like, this is Disturbing the Peace, or or something like, you're listening to Disturbing the Peace podcast. You know, something like that. If you guys know somebody that has a very deep voice and is willing to work for like a cup of coffee or like a Reese's bar or something, by all means, DTPUSA.com. I just need an audio file of somebody like, you're listening to, you know, like, you know, just something to put over all that. Anyways, anyways. Uh, it is Friday. Uh, I'm usually a couple days late than what I usually would like to record, but due to a recognized holiday where I work, um, if you don't know that today's a holiday, it's Indigenous People's Day. That's right. Indigenous People's Day. Speaking of that, so, so you know, we we talk about, on the right, we talk about, there's these two opposing narratives, and it's the same thing that's happening, but the left will say, oh my gosh, these people are racist, they're terrible, they don't want to learn about history, all that stuff. And I'm talking about like um, critical race theory, right? Critical race theory. So people will come out and they'll say, oh, well, this happened and this happened and this happened and they're, you know, they'll, they'll put critical race theory inside a math lesson, they'll put critical race theory inside a, a, a history lesson or a social studies lesson or an English lesson or something like that. And when people come out and say, hey, stop teaching that crap. They're like, oh, you're just a racist. You, don't, you just want to forget what happened in this country. Well, then the other narrative is, hey, we don't want you to teach it because it's not true. Or it mischaracterizes. Or it's just, it's, it's, you're changing history. You're falsifying information. I made this argument with Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus was not a fantastic person by any stretch of the imaginations. But many of the crimes that he was attributed to, he didn't actually do. He had men that were doing these things. And there's records and journals and all the stuff of him trying to stop them. And he was even put on trial by the Spanish government for these things. And acquitted. In fact, the people who accused him of doing these things were the ones who ended up... It came out in the trial that they were the ones who were actually guilty of it. And they were the ones who were punished and, I believe, executed or imprisoned for um, atrocities against natives. Okay, so the, the idea of Columbus Day. Alright, and why we had such a holiday in the first place... Um, is is still interesting to me, right? Like it, it it's, but here's here's why. Because Europe was suffering a lot of issues, and part of it was resources, and they were actually probably looking at a population explosion and probably another plague, right? Like I, I this was my theory, by the way. This is not me quoting some history book or something. It's just it's my understanding of history and me just kind of drawing my own conclusions from it the reason why we saw Columbus as such a great figure was because he actually saved a continent in a way when he charted a course to the West and found new land and new resources. And yes, there were people here. Um, and yes, there were things that happened that were awful and some stuff Columbus was responsible for and mo- much of it. It wasn't right. They, they tried to say that they, um, you know, brought over a, a a smallpox epidemic. Well, they didn't even know what bacteria was back then. Right. Like they didn't even know this was something that they would carry with them. So you can't say that, right? That that implies intent that they didn't have, or there's no reason to believe they had it. Right. So there's stuff like that. And so but what he did is he basically saved the continent of people when he brought new resources and and opened up new lands and traded. The first people that came to the United States as we know them today were people who were escaping religious persecution. They just wanted freedom. And they didn't hate the natives that they came and settled amongst. They traded with them, they learned from them. The whole point of Thanksgiving was to commemorate a dinner where the Native Americans saved this group of people and helped them establish and taught them how to live in this land. Okay? Like and I only really bring this up because there's a popular movie that's coming up right now called the 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 Woman King. And it again is a film about Fighting the patriarchy, fighting colonialism, fighting, you know, these evil Europeans that were coming into Africa and stuff like that. And it's essentially rewriting history because colonialism, again, not perfect. There was plenty of things that went wrong and was inappropriate. However, there was a lot of infighting and slave trading and murdering going on amongst tribes and groups of people at the time. And colonialism put a stop to all of that, right? The British empire put a stop to the slave trade long before the United States did. Okay, there was there was a lot of good that came from these things. So when you want to fight that kind of stuff, you have to take the good with the bad and understand that there was a lot of good that came with it. So anyways, I don't know why I got in this weird random tangent. This is not what I was planning to talk and to open up with. I was going to open up with a big fat I told you so. A huge I told you so especially uh, the certain individuals out there who like to make complaints about me and and like to hate on my podcast and stuff. It's just a whole nother, I told you so. And of course, I'm talking about January 6th. Why? Because the left loves to hammer it and talk about it over and over and over again about this protest and this riot that occurred at the Capitol and how it got out of hand. But yet they want to completely forget about the 180 days of rioting we had nationwide, including a full-on assault and seizure at the White House, where Antifa and BLM rioters burned down a guardhouse, injured 50 secret service agents. Um, the president himself, Donald Trump at the time, had to be rushed into a bunker. They called him bunker bitch, okay? They did all these terrible things, and yet January 6th is the day they want to talk about. I mean, it's classic narcissism, right? They cause all these problems, do all these things, and then the one person does something or they just respond to something that just didn't look right. And yeah, sure, it was inappropriate. It was wrong. Okay, I've condemned January 6th, that, that whole action, many times, just like every other conservative commentator and conservative politician ever did, unlike the left. Um, but they want to take it and run with it, and they just want to ignore it, right? It's, it's kind of what Jesus talked about, right? You, you guys keep pointing out the splinter in my eye when you have a beam sticking out of your freaking head, right? I mean, come on. Can we just be done with that? Can we say, yeah, yep, it was messed up, and the people who committed crimes should be held accountable? But here's a story I wanted to bring up to you, because this is, again, one of those things that's just not being talked about. Um, Out of everyone that, um, out of all the news organizations, actually had to go to Breitbart, which Breitbart's not my favorite to go to, but um, they do have a very good story on this with sources. Uh, Here's the title. whistleblower alleges FBI schemed... To distort January 6 cases into nationwide domestic violent extremist epidemic, the whistleblower alleged the FBI did not follow standard investigative practices for the January 6 cases when it moved the cases to various local field offices around the country based on where the case subjects were from. Jordan revealed, I guess Jordan's real uh, the uh, uh, oh representative Jim Jordan is the one who brought this up, Republican from Ohio. Um, Jordan revealed in his letter addressed to the FBI Director Ray uh, Ray Ryan on Monday, January 6th cases should all be officially led by the Washington field office and categorized as cases according to to the letter, but instead a task force dispatched instructions to open January 6th investigations to local field offices nationwide. Those local offices received the cases, making it look as if they were conducting the investigations on the cases, when, in reality, the Washington field office continued to conduct the bulk of the work, according to the letter. Okay, Jordan noted in this letter, such an artificial case categorization scheme fo- allows the FBI leadership to misleadingly point to significant increases in domestic violent extremism threats nationwide, which supports a narrative being perpetuated by the Biden administration okay? So there's a couple things going on. If you could take a riot, okay, if you could take a group like Antifa and say, okay, you guys are terrorists, okay? When you designate a group terrorist and you investigate an action as if it's a terrorist action, it frees up, right? It cuts a lot of yellow tape. It changes your investigative practices, and it frees up funding, okay? There's all sorts of funding for, for investigating this stuff. If you go to any of your local police departments, especially the large ones, they all have someone who they call their local terrorist liaison okay this is an officer a lieutenant a sergeant a captain somebody who's gone to a special training about how to recognize terrorist activities in their area okay what the fbi apparently did instead of taking this one incident in washington have it fall under the jurisdiction of the washington field office and have them investigate out of that office they spread it out nationwide so when they do their stats and talk about which officers are investigating domestic terrorist acts and who the source of those domestic terrorist acts are, which are, of course would be right-wing or, 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 or white right-wing individuals, they make it look like it's spread nationwide. This is there to manipulate the data and, of course, perpetuate an ongoing um, narrative that we have this huge domestic terrorist um, problem in the United States and it's perpetuated by right-leaning Republicans. Okay, now let me tell you something. Again, you are all practical, reasonable people. Okay, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming that you are a practical, reasonable individual who could just look back in your own memory. Look back. Look back past January 6th. Right? Let's 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 take a little. Um, let's make an exercise out of this. Okay. Let's close your eyes unless you're driving. Um, close your eyes and let's look back. Let's look back till let's say you're about around my age, right? Let's say you're pushing 40. Um, let's go back to the 90s. How many Republican-organized events got out of hand and became riots? How about the early 2000s? Recent history before January 6th? How about the 80s? 70s? 60s? Come on, history buffs, help me out here. I can't think of it ever happening. Ever. And I could be wrong. DTP at USA.com. Right? If, you, if you could think of a specific event, okay, where it was a Republican political event, okay, I'm not talking about uh, Nazis or, or KKK or like five people show up from some radical, you know, organization and stuff, and you're like, well, those are Republicans. No, they're not. Shut up. Okay. I'm talking about a Republican organized political event, uh, a, a protest or anything like that that got out of hand. It just, it's never happened. January 6th is the gift that keeps on giving because it's the first time that my event that that I could recall in recent history that anything like that has ever happened. It will probably be the last time in my lifetime. But it's the gift that keeps on giving. And now we're seeing that the FBI, the FBI who's already in question – the FBI who refused to file charges on Hillary Clinton for obvious crimes. The FBI who refuses to go after Hunter Biden for obvious crimes and obvious corruption. The FBI who f- refused to look at the Biden family in general, even before he was elected as president, that he should have been looked at and stuff. When he was vice president, he should have been looked at. They refused. They just turn a blind eye to him. Yet they're serving a warrant on Mar-a-Lago. And for what? We still can't figure out why they went after President Trump for that, except that they were fishing for something else. Oh, documents weren't being kept properly? So what? They're his documents. He has presidential privilege. And on top of that, from what I understand, they were in a locked closet. A safe room. Okay, they busted into a safe, and it's, oh, whatever. I don't even want to go now. That that Bush has been beaten so many times. I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. But you guys know what I mean, though. The FBI is already caught in the question. And then you have stuff like this coming out? Yeah, they're spreading cases throughout the nation. Um to make it look like a, a nationwide um, domestic terrorist issue. So if they identified a protester from New Hampshire, they're going to give a case to um, to the FBI office in New Hampshire. And even though they're still working it from Washington, D.C., they're just going to pass a case along to them just to obscure the data and make it look like they're they're doing all this stuff. That's essentially what they're doing. Okay, according to this whistleblower. Like, seriously, I'm I'm... You know, I, I've, I've always been against, like, defunding police and, like, going after stuff like that. But uh, there's a few organizations that I'm, I'm totally for. Let's just get rid of them. They don't do any good. The Department of Education is one of them. They haven't done anything since their inception. Nothing good. Nobody can even tell me one landmark thing that they've done that they do well. Okay? Get rid of the Department of Get rid of the IRS. The tax code is so elaborate and so over the top and ridiculous. Okay, I shouldn't have to hire somebody every year to help me file my taxes because I just can't figure it out myself. Okay, I have too much write-offs, too much stuff going on. I just can't figure it out. And I don't want to take the time to do it and stuff like that. It's just easier for me to hand somebody money and say, please do this for me. Okay, I mean, why is it like that? Why can't it just be a flat percentage? It doesn't matter if you're a millionaire or it doesn't matter if you're a teenager. It doesn't matter. If it was up to me, boom. We would fix the tax code and make it so simple you could eradicate the IRS. No need for them. And now I'm at that point where I want to throw in the, the FBI too. Why do we need federal police? I mean, I know why we need them, but if this is how they're gonna act, if they're not gonna equally dispense the law between everyone depending on their political, not depending on their political beliefs. I mean, it's clear there's definitely need some reform over there. It's clear that there's definitely a swamp that needs to be drained from the FBI. And I'm not trying to hammer like the, the individual agents on the on the field level or the line staff level. Okay, I know there's good people in the FBI. We, we have a whistleblower who came out. And apparently this whistleblower has enough credibility that Representative Jim Jordan is writing a letter to the FBI about it and um, Breitbart's picking it up. Okay, and I know another other news sources have as well. Okay, so I know there's good people in the FBI who are pointing stuff out and saying, hey, that's uh, inappropriate, incorrect, all this other stuff. But again, it kind of comes back to those stories you're not hearing. How many people didn't know that until I said something about it? It's just, it's, it's, it's so weird to see how much corruption we have and nobody seems to have the courage to do anything about it. And even when we had Republicans in the House and in Congress, or when Republicans controlled Congress and Republicans controlled the White House, I mean, the whole message was drain the swamp and it didn't get drained. It did not get drained. I have no confidence right now That even if there is a huge red wave in November, which I think there will be, that things are just going to suddenly start getting better. This is Disturbing the Peace Podcast with your favorite deputy. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, something like that. I need a voiceover like that. Something cool. Anyways, all right, and we're back. <coughs> all right, another story. Uh, interesting, interesting. So, um, well, I don't know how to start the story, so I guess I'm just going to tell the story. In the summer of 2015, 32-year-old Edward Goodwin was killed by two former friends, Ricky Hurt and Eldred Smith, due to an alleged drug deal gone wrong. The killers tied cinder blocks to his body and threw him into an unnamed pond in Butler County. Hurt and Smith are both serving time for the murder. During an investigation in November 2017, the the Butler County Sheriff's Department drained a section of the pond and officers found partial remains that they identified as Goodwin's. By recovering femurs and pelvis, police were able to charge Hurt and Smith for the crime. Edward Goodwin's mother, Connie, 57, said the sheriff's department claimed they would recover the rest of Edwards, Edward's remains at a later date, but after years of waiting, she decided to take matters into her own hands. Connie said the department repeatedly gave her excuses as to why they couldn't, why it couldn't finish the job. Either new cases or bad weather kept officers and technicians too busy. Last fall, it finally made an attempt but failed. The department returned to the Missouri pond with the, with the intention of draining the water until they could uncover Edward's remains. But it couldn't remove enough of the water, so Connie was left waiting once again. Over the weekend of September 17, Connie and Edward's son, Gage, realized that to get closure, they'd have to resume the recovery themselves. So they rented a sub-pump and began draining the pond. It only took two hours for Connie and Gage to accomplish what the sheriff's office had failed to do over the course of seven years. And when they saw what looked to be Bones laying in the mud, they called the local coroner. Gage, now 22, ran into the, ran into the mud before the coroner arrived. The next thing you know, my grandson, he's tall and slender built, took off, took off in a running stance through the mud. Connie told the New York Post it was up to his knees. When the Butler County coroner Jim Akers arrived, he engaged work to carefully to remove the remains from the swampy pond floor and put them in a kayak to carry them to shore. Finding Edward's body was bittersweet, but it gave his family the closure they had been desperately needing for years. So not only, it, it's, it's both touching and kind of frustrating as well because... First of all, I'm, I'm glad this family was able to get the rest of his remains. Hopefully, they get closure. But it should not have taken that many years. And, yeah, it took two hours for them to drain the pond. Okay, for every pond like that, you're going to have some sort of nearby creek or something where you can just run the pipes, put them in there, let the water run downstream. It's fine. It's not going to hurt anything. Um, there was no reason why that could not have gotten done, and, uh, and yeah, I'm glad it has a happy ending. But it is frustrating from a law enforcement point of view. It's frustrating because I know my agency would have drained that pond. My agency would have found him the moment we knew that's where he was. Okay, we would have had sonar technology out there. We would have we we you know we, recovering bodies from water is not a new thing to us. Um. But, yeah, it's just so frustrating. And, yeah, sure, I'm glad it has a happy ending. But, I mean, how embarrassing that must be to your local sheriff or to the local agency that was handling that investigation. Be like, yeah, we can't do it. I mean, this lady's been calling them for years. They probably had a nickname for her. They probably looked back and be like, oh, gosh, Connie's calling again. Oh, my goodness. Why can't she just let it rest? Well, I wouldn't let it rest either. If I knew my child was in pieces, that, yeah, we recovered some of their bones are sitting over here and others are still in the bottom of this pond. Yeah, I think I'd have a hard time letting it rest too. Especially when they're telling her, yeah, we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. They shouldn't have stopped. Recovering only part of his body wasn't the whole job. It wasn't the full task. Get the whole job done. And again, it's not hard. They rented a sub pump and made it happen. Okay. They use these trash pumps for this kind of stuff. I've seen it done myself. You can use siphon technology. I've drained ponds myself for syph- with siphons. And yeah, it's a pain in the butt, but you can do it. If you understand the science of how to make it work, you can do it with siphon. I mean, yeah, I would be embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed. If I was Miss Connie, I would have been going against that elected sheriff every single year. He made me promises he didn't keep. Yeah, that'd be frustrating. But hey, I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad it worked out for her. It's a it's a it's a good story. I think it's one of those stories that's just not being pushed around enough. But I'll tell you right now, man, that red and yellow tape for a police agency and and all that stuff, and just all they have to do is go out and drain the pond. And I've come across this with with other agencies and stuff and and sometimes even mine, but it looks like such a simple tasks, task. And for some reason, there has to be such an elaborate amount of paperwork and justification to make it happen. Okay. Um, I saw one time there was a string of car burglaries that was happening. It was a popular park. People would all park there. They'd park along the street. And these were all just smash and grab. Somebody would just drive up. They'd see a purse or a backpack in somebody's car. Smash the window, grab it, cop in the car, take off. Boom. The whole thing would happen in under 10, 20 seconds. Okay. It was in a rural area, so there wasn't like cameras or anything out there. It was just, it would just happen. People would go hiking in this park, they'd come back, and boom, their car was smashed and their purse was gone or whatever. So I was done taking these reports and I was like, look, I'm done with this crap. Let's get a party out here. Okay, let's get an unmarked vehicle. Let's get some some plainclothes guys out here just to park up on the hill, watch and have a marked vehicle park down the street. So when we see this happens, we can get eyes on them. Film the encounter. Film the people doing it. Get them pulled over. Get them arrested. Okay, that's that's what I wanted to do. Um, my boss said, "Yep, yeah, sure. That's a great idea. Cool. Let's do it." Okay, cool. You have to do a staffing plan. What do you mean? Well, it's going to be you and one other guy, and then we have to hire backfill. Let me hire backfill. We have to pay two guys to come in and pay them overtime. Well, okay, okay. So that means you have to develop a full staffing plan. Write it all out. A full operational plan. Uh, take it to the, the captain. You know, have him sign off on it. You have to call payroll and figure out what it costs to pay two guys overtime. You know, you ha- I had to do all this stuff, and I was like, "Well, crap!" And so I'm typing it all up, doing all this. It takes several days. Time is getting wasted. In the meantime, more people are getting their stuff smashed and grabbed. It's like it's like, come on, can we just can we just go do it? Can I just go grab an unmarked car? I'll keep my uniform. I don't have to be plain clothes. Can I just grab an unmarked car and go out there and have my partner go out there? We can't just have a couple other people handling calls and stuff while we do that. Nope. Full staffing plan. Absolutely insane. Luckily, I actually had a good ending because I didn't have to do it. There was um, some officers on a different assignment that had much more, um, how do you say it, Uh, discretion and liberty to do that kind of stuff than I did at the time. And so they were like, ah, now we're just going to do this. And they already had unmarked cars for their own unit, so they handled it. And yes, there was an arrest made out of it. But yeah, I was just so frustrated. I was like, and granted, I was just assigned to patrol. So I was like, well, maybe I guess, I don't know. But yeah, it was just, I see it a lot. And when I'm looking at the story here in Missouri, I'm like, okay, look, I understand where this lady's calling and says, hey, drain the rest of the pond. And somebody else was like, well, we have to do a full staffing plan. We have to do this. We have to hire overtime. We have to get the sub pump. We have to throw it in there. Someone has to pay for it. Who, you know, what department credit card are we using for this? Well, blah, blah, blah. I get it's an operation, but it's an operation that was worth doing not something that should have waited seven years okay but i've seen that too where sometimes people just take things in their own hands they just take matters in their own hands and it gets done and i don't blame them <laughs> this is disturbing no no it has to be a deep voice it needs to be much deeper All right, and I'm back. You know, if you listen to the show for a long time, there's there's an ongoing thing I've been kind of a theme that i brought up several times, and it's um if you see something, say something, right? If you see something, say something, right? If you're if you're looking at, you got new neighbors renting the house next door, and you see them moving a bunch of fertilizer and diesel into their but in the garage, you should probably say something, right? If you see uh, your uh, your kid's friend posting on social media about wanting to shoot up the school, say something. You see them posting a lot of ammunition and magazines and stuff, guns and stuff on their social media feed, and it's clear that they're not out trying to go hunting or trying to do any type of activity involving those things, you, you may want to say something, right? And I'm not a big fan of whistleblower or red flag laws or anything like that. I'm just saying that some things are worth saying, right? For every rule, there's an exception. Um, so I want to tell you guys a story from Hawaii when a young lady and some heroes... um. And their paths kind of crossed, and it was uh, more or less fate, but it all kind of comes down to that same thing. If you see something, say something. Um, <clears throat> a teenage girl from Hawaii is now home safe thanks to the help of some good Samaritans she encountered at a restaurant on the other side of the island. According to reports, Duncan Kealoha Mahi, 52, kidnapped Michaela Dabina, 15, last Friday while she was enjoying a day at the beach with her boyfriend. At approximately 1.30 p.m. local time, Mahi reportedly approached the couple at, I'm not going to say the name of that beach, <laughs> on the main island of Hawaii. Mahi then allegedly forced Dabina at Knife Point to tie up and blindfold her boyfriend so that he could abduct her without the boyfriend's interference. After the two disappeared, law enforcement groups immediately began a manhunt to find Mahi and Dabina. In fact, the state issued its first ever Amber Alert to help find the missing teen. It proved to be instrumental in bringing her home nearly 24 hours later. Folks at Hilo's Cafe, Pesto, nearly 70 miles from the beach, (laughs) again, I'm not going to say that name, were able to rescue the girl and reunite her with her family when they recognized her from the Amber Alert. A host at the cafe, Bridge Hartman, said said he noticed that something was off about the young girl and the older gentleman. The dress Dabina Dabina had been wearing at the beach was discovered abandoned with her cell phone near Lacona Airport, and she was now wearing ill-fitting men's clothing. She was also having a heated discussion with her companion, Hartman claimed. Even if it wasn't her, my brain was like, I need to get her. Then I realized it was her, he recalled, and I yelled out, that's the girl, that's the girl from the Amber Alert then managed to free Damina from Mahi's clutches and steer her towards the rear of the restaurant for safety. Another woman at the restaurant helped her call her mother. Her mother, um, Cherie Cher, is what she goes by, called the, <clears throat> called the helpful restaurant employees and patrons heroes who had ripped Michaela from her abductor. So here's, the thing. here's a couple things that I'm going to point out. One, this is a worst-case scenario, right? This is the worst case. When you tell your kids not to talk to strangers or nothing like that. This is what you're afraid of. You're afraid of them getting kidnapped. And there's literally an infinite number of reasons why somebody may kidnap another person, okay? Issue number one, she was held at knife point by a middle-aged man and forced to tie up and blindfold her boyfriend at a beach. Now, I don't know exactly where they were, if they're more in a secluded area. I don't know if there's a cave or something nearby. I don't know if they were... um, making out under a pier or something, but first of all, if your kid's getting abducted, have this conversation with them. If you're being abducted, um, make a scene. Scream, yell, throw things, make a scene. He held them at gunpoint, and she tied up her boyfriend. Other thing, um, obviously, she tied him up too well, right? Like, I'm pretty sure I'd be giving him some pretty loose, um, and stuff like that. And it'd be a pretty loose blindfold. Okay. Like enough for 30 seconds later, he could be right on our tail kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, make a scene. Okay. And then of course it comes back to this. If you see something, say something right in the restaurant, right? A lot of people, when they see conflict, when they see something that's inappropriate or you see people don't like to get involved or it's like, Oh no, that's just their thing. That's just their, you know, just don't get involved don't make a scene, you know, they're, they're, they're upset, they're arguing, no, get involved, say something, hey man, you don't need to talk to her that way, hey man, knock it off, folks, is there something I can help you mediate, right, like, like, it's, you know what I'm saying, when people are drawing attention to themselves in a negative way, sometimes the best thing you could do is point it out, put them on the spot, you know what I'm saying, like, 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 let it happen, okay, then, of course, the patrons did exactly what they should have done. They got involved, uh, got her away, got you know, called her mom and all that stuff. I don't you know the guy I think is now serving time in jail. Um, and here's the thing here's the other thing he did. he He left her dress and um, her cell phone by the Kona airport. That's interesting. That's an interesting tactic because it indicates that maybe he got her onto a plane. It would have been very hard to get her onto a plane, obviously, if she's going against her will. But the other thing is here they are in a public restaurant. She didn't exactly have handcuffs on. You know what I'm saying? So, so talk to your kids about this kind of stuff. Run away. Make a scene. Say, "No, this man grabbed me. I don't know who this is. He kidnapped me in front of this beach. I'm the girl from the Amber Alert. Or I'm the boy from the Amber Alert. You know what I'm saying? Like kids, they get scared. They get locked up. They don't know what to do. And they don't know what to do because we're not having those conversations with them. So have those conversations with them. Okay, I mean, I'm no expert in parenting, but I'll tell you right now, I can't, I've can't. i said this before on this podcast, if you listen to me for a long time, you've heard this, and I'm sorry, bear with me. I was a school resource officer, and I would sit down and have these conversations with parents, and they would come to me and they'd be like, oh, my kid knows better, my 13-year-old knows better, my 14, my 15-year-old knows better. And I couldn't help but think to myself, or sometimes I even say it out loud, I'm like, do they know better? Because if you're not having those specific conversations with them, If you're not spelling out in detail what your expectations of their behavior is, then they do not know better. Okay, I make it very clear at the beginning of every school year to sit down and have a family meeting and talk to my kids about, hey, this is what I expect your behavior to be in regards to your teachers. This is what I expect your grades to be outside of school. If I'm at work or whatever, this is what I expect your behavior to be. Okay, I expect you guys to be respectful. I expect you guys to stand up the bullies. I expect you guys to stand up the bullies who are bullying other people. Okay, I expect you not to drink. I expect you not to do drugs, and I do not want you having sex. Right? I have those conversations. And yes, it's sometimes uncomfortable. It's sometimes awkward for my kids. It would be awkward for me, but I don't really have any feelings anymore. So I don't care if it's awkward. Okay, I'm going to get my message out there. Okay. My teenage son has a little girlfriend. Seems like a nice little girl. Very nice. And I tell him all the time, that is not your future wife. That is somebody else's future wife. That's somebody else's little girl. And you need to make sure you're respectful to her and that you keep your hands to yourself. Those are my expectations. So when they make those mistakes... You know, when they do mess up and they experiment, like smoking something or drinking something or whatever it is, or staying out too late or whatever like that, at least I can sleep at night knowing that I communicated to them what was needed and they knew. So when the discipline gets handed down, they already know it's coming and they're not even mad about it. They own their stuff. I was just telling somebody the other day about that. I was like, you know what? When I have to discipline my kids, I'd never get, I never get clapped back. I never, they never fire back to me. And the reason why is because I tell them in advance, hey, if your grades are bad, this is going to be the consequence. You know, if I catch you doing drugs or drinking, guess who's not going to be playing football for the rest of the season? You know, guess who's not going to be on the cheer team? Guess who's not going to do this or that? Guess who's not going to have a phone for a long time? You know what I'm saying? Like they know the consequence. So when it happens, they're like, yep, I knew it was coming. Here's my phone. Okay, I'll turn in my uniform. You know, I'm not saying I expect my kids to be perfect. I expect them to make mistakes. But I get a lot less conflict in my life and in my personal life when I give them a total heads up about what's coming if certain mistakes get made. And I get a lot less of them making mistakes because I have those open conversations with them about my expectations of their behavior. It works. It really does. So yeah, when you're looking at your kid and thinking, well, my kid knows better than to be disrespectful to a teacher. No, did you have that specific conversation with them? My kid knows better than, than, than to steal. Really? Have you ever sat down and talked to him about stealing? And how that affects him. How that affects uh, the people you're stealing from. Right? Like, if you're not having those specific conversations with people, you're messing up. You're falling short. Right? Do not be afraid to have those, what you may think to be an obvious conversation with somebody, and have it anyways. All right, I think I'm going to leave right there. There was a really gross story I was going to share with you guys. It was about a guy who, um, well... Yeah, no, it was really gross. Basically, his his wife passes away in the middle of the night. All right, I'm just going to have to share it with you guys. Hold on, let me pull it up here for a second. Oh, it's so gross. Uh, It's hard to go from, like, a serious topic to, like, suddenly go to something like this. All right, where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? There's a bunch of other stories in here I wanted to share with you guys. All right, teenager blows up some people. I'll save that for next time. Man called paramedics to report his wife passed away during the night. When paramedics showed up, he was... Well, making love to his dead wife. Uh, not only this story, not only was it really gross, uh, I don't even want to go into the details of what they walked in on, but there's some, like, her. first of all, if you're going to call paramedics and say, hey, there's a medical emergency, you know they are only minutes down the road. <laughs> like, maybe it should occur to you that you don't have time for that. You know, I said that to a friend and they told a very, very inappropriate joke of, you know. Uh, Necrophilia necrophilia is better than neverphilia. <laughs> oh, oh, that made me feel gross just saying it out loud. Ugh, ugh, no. Gross, disgusting. Uh yeah, so his wife died and then he went to jail because that's just gross and very illegal. All right, I'm gonna leave it right there. Uh this is disturbing the peace again. Uh DTP at USA.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, any topics you want me to cover, any stories you want me to look at? If you have any disagreement with me, feel free, DTP at USA.com. If you're right, or if I think you have a valid point, I will read it on the air for you. And I will try and best represent your your opinion in that matter. If not, I will just make fun of you or or explain why I'm still right. (laughs) So (laughs) write me at your own risk. Um, DTP at USA.com. And again, find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram. Have a good night.